Because every hour is happy hour in Costin. Has he ever been to Costin? My next note. Have you ever been to Costin? <laughs> Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Episode number 54. Yeah. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. And this is Midsummer Maniacs, a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. There's lots to love in this one. Just a warning off the top, if you don't let your kids watch the show, the podcast is probably not for them, but if they can handle the show, they can handle the podcast. They too can be a maniac. We beep out the words they're slightly controversial anyway. You do? Like. I've never noticed you beep anything. The one that rhymes with luck, I tend to beep that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if they're British kids, they've heard it. I know. Because they're not so uptight about bad words on TV. That's true. Anyway. But most of our listeners are American, so. Yeah. Just a reminder, we're still taking t-shirt ideas. If you've got some good ones, lay them on us. Doesn't have to be a sketch, just a phrase, just an idea is totally fine. The plan is to send, uh, is to do t-shirts sometime this fall Mm -hmm. and raise money for a charity. We got some charity recommendations, but keep those coming also. Yeah. Anything that's international, non-controversial, helps people, we're all for it. Boy, did we get an email this week. Oh, yeah? Yep. Tell us. From a lady in Norway, and her name is Ellie. I've never been to Norway. We've been to Finland. That was pretty close to Norway, but never Norway. Never Norway. And she sent us just the nicest email. Thanks, Ellie. uh, About how great... The podcast is, and a little explanation of, uh, remember way, way back in the very first episode, we uh, talked about the guy who owned the manor house, the big, the big wig. Bella's husband. Bella's husband. Yeah. Couldn't drive because he had polio, but he drives. He rides a four by four. Yep. Around the state. And poor Ellie caught uh, polio in 1968 in South Korea, an outbreak there. And she... uh, Thank you for sharing with us, first of all. And then I just was struck again about we don't have millions of people who listen to us. And, and I actually, if we had millions of people listening to us, I don't know what we do because. Yeah, we don't, we don't want that kind of numbers. No. There's not that many maniacs out there, and that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the people who do listen to us really have a connection with us. And I think that's way more important. And they're all very interesting people. At least the ones who take the time to send us a message are super interesting people. Yes. So if you do like the show, please keep telling us and keep sending us emails about your lives. Because so... Ella let us know that that she has a, um, a vehicle that's altered so that she can drive it, right? Yeah. Kind of like his was. And... I think I think that's amazing. I'm so glad that people can can take advantage of that kind of technology now. It's awesome. You guys help have made me listen to a podcast for the first time in my life. That's awesome. That's just fantastic. Yes. 
And we have quite a few listeners who've said that to us. Like, so-and-so yep. in my life helped me figure out how to listen to it and told me about it, and now I'm hooked. And maybe you'll listen to some other stuff, too. Uh, I love podcasts. I, always, I listen to so many. <laughs> I always love hearing about people's lives because far too often, like, I get to see the numbers, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't get to see... Uh, response like i don't get to see who individuals are or anything like that yeah so we're not tracking you with internet technologies <laughs> <laughs> i can't tell you how often um i at least consider myself a more interesting person because i know something that i've learned listening to a podcast yeah that i'm able to tell somebody else about it's and and i can still be you know building halloween decorations in the garage while i'm learning and that, yeah. that's awesome to me i don't get to sit down I'm, and read very often i wish i had more activities in which i could listen to things it's hard to edit audio and listen to a podcast at the same time it's kind of difficult yeah. to do that <laughs> and i can't really uh, uh, program when i'm doing it either no. just, you know you got to focus got to focus uh, so. we also had somebody ask about one of your cameras because we mentioned that eric had lots of weird cameras and that so do you Yes, on Twitter. And so they asked what my stereo camera is, and it's a TDC Stereo Colorist. So for those of you who are not camera nerds, if you've ever seen um, one of those 3D photos that you put on a, uh, like, they like sit on a slider that you can look through and you slide it closer or further away, it's got two photos side by side. And when you look at them both through that viewer, you get the right eye view and the left eye view, and that makes it look 3D, right? Yep. And that's what that camera can take? Yes. It can take that kind of can photo. take color 35-millimeter pictures. You've, you've connected with yet another camera geek out there. I guess so. That's awesome. Oh. Yep. Oh, speaking of geeks. Wow. So this episode, King's Crystal. There's no geeks in episode it. Episode 54. <laughs> no, there's no geeks in but it. But as two people who have English degrees, we kind of nerded out just a little bit because there's so bit. much Shakespeare in this. But It's filmed in July, August 2006, uh, broadcast the 26th of January 2007. 6.88 million views. Peter Smith and Steve, uh, directed it and Steve Trafford wrote it. And we start out in another country. It's another continent. OMG. They bought some B-roll of Shanghai. OMG. (laughs) My very first comment. My very first comment. OMG, we're in China. (laughs) I wrote, how exotic. (laughs) I said, OMG, we're in China. Shanghai specifically. Wait, well, now we're not. Yeah, now we're in a hotel room that's generic. And... Now we're on a little country road that's probably been in another episode. Okay. But there are people on bicycles, so it must be China. It's not, not a road. It's not a road. <laughs> it's a lane. It's not even a lane. It's a bike path. <laughs> but they drive past. Well, okay. Before that. No, Mark. They're definitely in China. You know how you know? Okay. There's Chinese on the road sign. Okay. Before we get to the road sign. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about this. Uh, I went through all of the crystal King's crystal papers. Oh yeah. Cause they're in the hotel room. So it's Charles King, Peter Baxter and Alan King in a hotel room, supposedly in Shanghai. And they're going through paperwork because they're going to move King's crystal from midsummer to China. Yep. And that's why Everything they're there. Will be in China in a few years. 
In 20 years. Am I? No, he said 10. Everything will be made in China in 20 years is what he says. Get used to it. I guess so. What did you find out from the paperwork? King's Crystal's address, their phone number. They're in Midsummer Magna. Yeah. They have a fax number, an email address, and a website address that is not available. So while we're talking about their contact information, I, I thought it was interesting that the sign on the front of the factory just says Costin, and then it has a six-digit number. Yeah. Like you would call the operator and say, yeah, can I have Costin 560-667? Well, there's... It's not a phone number, is it? I'm not going to go into it. It is a phone number, but six, seven, eight, and nine-digit numbers are all used locally in England. Oh, okay. So you could call that number. Yes. Without having to say Costin first. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Tom Scott has a great video on that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll link to that then. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for Uh, answering that question, telephone man. But more importantly, Rachel O'Connor took the orders. Oh. Who the hell is Rachel O'Connor? The lady who took the orders at King's Crystal. She did. She's out of a job now. Yeah. Okay. Now, the roadside. (laughs) (laughs) It says Pudong Airport, which Which is is the airport in Shanghai. Shanghai. It's the second line that's interesting. Yes. Jington Expressway. Mm-hmm. which is equally 10 kilometers away. By the way, if you don't know 10 kilometers, it's roughly six miles. But they're in Shanghai. Yes. And that expressway is in Beijing. Which is 100, uh, sorry. It's 750 miles away. Or 1,200 kilometers away. It's a 12-hour drive. Yes. Away. <laughs> now, there's a train that goes between them super fast, and even that couldn't do it. In the time it would take you to travel 10 miles. 10 kilometers. 10 kilometers. Because <laughs> remember, we're outside of the United States now, so everyone uses metric. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Canadian sometimes. And then we get a real explosion. Kaboom! Boom. Look out, bikers. <laughs> I, could, I, I listened really loud with headphones on, and the bikers are not speaking Chinese I think they're speaking English, but I couldn't figure out what they said. I can just imagine these extras. Okay, you're going to be walking a bike, not riding it, walking it. At night with no lights on. We're going to give you a little headlamp, but it's going to be super dim. And you're supposed to just like a blah, 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 watermelon, 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 whatever. Yeah. And then when the car goes by, act like Chinese people who are startled in the dark. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> An episode so centered on China and only one Asian person appears. The waiter in the hotel room? The waiter in the hotel room. Who has no speaking role. No. <laughs> He's, he sets something down and leaves. Well, you know, that's a common critique of Midsummer, right? They get better later. Look at the menagerie. The menagerie of King's Crystal. The bugs that they make? Okay. The following, <laughs> There's a scorpion, a dragonfly. The following items are on the table. Dragonfly, grasshopper, a dog. Oh, okay. A scorpion, a spider, a butterfly, an elephant, a tree, a bee, and a horse. But I was completely, like, I just paused it and watched everything here. And then, did you see what happened next? The workman who's making the dragonfly, it, it's the end of the day, I guess. Right. So they just put some tissue over it and walk away. Yes. I'll put a piece of paper over these crystal objects and they'll be safe. <laughs> well, overnight, they would be fine. No. <laughs> if nobody's there. over it for, at the very least. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. You walk away from it. You leave it there. 
I have always wondered the difference between crystal and glass. So what's the difference? I remember as a kid thinking that when somebody said they had like a crystal decanter, that somebody actually mined something like a like the inside of a geode kind of crystal, and they carved it into a glass. Like a Lord of the Rings crystal. Yeah, yeah. Like it was an actual crystal that was made oh. into a glass. That's, Of course, that's not the case. Is it just mean glass? It's a special kind of glass. So mm-hmm. when you hear leaded glass, yes, that's actually what they refer to as crystal quite often. And it's because it's a variety of glass. So glass has calcium in it that comes from the the potash that's in the glass but crystal is glass that has lead in it instead of calcium okay so it makes it harder and much clearer okay so it's really difficult to create like a prism from regular glass oh you have to use leaded glass but but crystal glass you can do it oh but it's it's kind of out of fashion because, of course, you don't want to drink a lot out of leaded crystal stuff. Yeah. But that's the difference. Okay. Yeah. Now I know. It's got, it's got better clarity. On to the funeral. We have a funeral and a wedding. With laughing in between them. Like, they're, they're almost uh, montaged together. Yes. Which is supposed to, like, trip you out, right? Yes. You're like, why are people laughing at the funeral? Oh, now we're at a wedding. Hillary's laughing. Six months have passed in a blink. Yes, a blink of an eye. And now we have the first Hamlet references. Because Alan King exploded in the car. He exploded. Right. With all his stuff? I I don't know if he was headed for Shanghai or the airport, so I don't know if he had his stuff with him or not. Okay. I'm sorry, Beijing. He might have been driving to Beijing. Maybe. If he took a laugh. Okay. Alan gets a nice little dragonfly on his uh, his coffin. Did you notice uh, Jack Tucson's jacket at the funeral? No. So Jack Tucson is the foreman at King's Crystal, if you don't remember. He's the, the little guy who's the ringleader of the workers at King's Crystal. Yeah. And he has an emblem on his jacket, like a crest. Yeah. And he also has a pin on the lapel that looks similar. And is I, it Legion? I, I couldn't figure it out. No. I don't know. It. it now that I think about it, it reminds me of Legion. So it might be Legion. So are Legion members and Mason members like enemies? No, they- no, no, no. Because my father was a member of, of both. both. Oh, okay. I just thought maybe we'll they were. That. I thought maybe they were like opposing brotherhoods. No, no, no. That would be interesting, though. And my mother was in the. My mother and father were in the Legion because their fathers were military. Military. Okay, so maybe he's former military, and that's why he's got it. But they were like in the military. Is the most easy jobs ever. They didn't even go overseas. Right. So. Well, military's military. Military's military. So we, we find out that Hillary King, the widow of the man who died in the car crash, has just married her dead husband's brother. Okay. And immediately we're like, Hamlet. Hamlet. <laughs> oh, don't worry. They'll hit us over the head with it many, many times. This is Hamlet. Oh, Mark, did you notice? It's Hamlet. Oh. They're going to perform Hamlet, too. Okay. We might get some references to Hamlet, maybe, and Ophelia, because she's in Hamlet. But, of course, I, at that point, I'm like, isn't that Eric? Wait a minute. That creepy photographer looks familiar. From two episodes ago, it's Eric Usher. <laughs> Taking the photos. 
He's learned his lesson. Look, he's doing wedding photography now instead of nudie pics of underage girls. I guess. (laughs) Okay. He's had the finger wagged at him. And then I'm going to say this out loud, which is incapable of anyone else in this episode. David and Ian are gay and have a relationship. I don't think so. I do. No. I, I believe what they say. I believe that David loves him, but that's not what Ian's into. And so they're friends. No, I think Ian's into it. I think they're close friends. I think Sophie's dress at the wedding doesn't fit. Well, I'm just going to say right now, I'm in the anti-Sophie camp. <laughs> I know. But if you've never been a woman, so you don't know <laughs> that when you... Wasn't I a woman last week? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Only women really know okay. the pain of having a dress or any kind of clothing item that you wear up top that has a seam... That cuts across your boobs too tightly. Oh, I can only imagine how irritating that is. Like w- somebody with a smaller chest would fit above the seam, but if if your chest is slightly bigger, part of you is below that seam, and it just cuts across you, and oh. that's what Sophie's dress at the wedding is doing. And the whole time she's on screen, I'm just like, girl, that must hurt so much. Like, you can't even take a breath, can you? Well, you know, <laughs> if she went with David, they could get hammered. Because every hour is happy hour in Costin. Has he ever been to Costin? My next note, have you ever been to Costin? <laughs> Maybe compared to Midsummer Magna, Costin is the big swinging city, but every hour is not happy hour in Costin. It's not Las Vegas, for God's sakes. No. Like, David, what kind of sheltered life have you had if Costin is like the swinging party town? They come Joyce from, lives there, are, for God's sake. Are they in Oxford or Cambridge? They he's, they he's, make references to Oxfordshire. No, no, but he's... he's. Where does he go he, to school? Ian goes... I don't know. I think it's Oxford. Okay. They must have a gay bar in Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> but the closest place is Costin, but it's always happy hour there, so isn't that good? Oh. How lucky. So the happy couple throw the bouquet. Sophie okay. catches it. This is the lamest bouquet throwing ever. She throws it at Sophie. There's no warning. Nope. There's no chance for the single ladies to gather up. Nope. She doesn't throw it over her shoulder like she's supposed to. She basically flings it at the poor girl. She does. Marry my son. <laughs> Whack. She catches it because she has to. Otherwise, she's going to get hurt. Well, it may, and Hillary should know about flowers. She's a florist. It might hit, what the hell is the whole florist well, thing? We won't talk about it any more than that, <laughs> but she should know how to toss a bouquet. That's all I'm saying. Here, let me take this old paring knife out into the woods and get flowers. Well, Tucson gives him a piece of his mind. Oh, boy, does he ever. We're not going to go sit in our houses like dumbbells. Nope. What? That makes no sense at all. And hey, workers' rights, those people deserve their pensions. If they got ripped off, they deserve their money. I'm all about it. But there's a guy who's got a homemade sign that says, pensions, please. Okay. (laughs) The signs include the following. Where's my money? C.S. Wright, King's Crystal Swindlers, Pension Pirates... And pension pirates. King's crystal scum. Pensions, please. 
It's not pensions, please. It's pensions, please. <laughs> kings, crooks. And then my favorite, which is kings with no apostrophe. Okay. Crystal. This is how crystal is spelled. C-R-Y-S-T-I-L. Oh, crystal. And then comes the best, which is the word swindlers. Mm-hmm. But it's written out phonetically. Swindlers? As S-W-I-N-D-L-A-S. Swindlers. Swindlers. <laughs> Arr, you pirates, you swindlers. <laughs> I think they need some money to go back to school and get some education. You know, these are just craftspeople, Mark. They're not highly educated like you. One of them's got his Jay Guevara shirt on. <laughs> That's a proper protest. Yep. I just love that. We're not going to go sit in our house like dumbbells. The church sign that is barely seen only for maybe three or four frames says Midsummer Magna on it. They did a good job. It says... Uh, uh, Parish Church of All Saints, Midsummer Magna. There you go. Yep. Nice and satellite. Yep. Were you surprised that Cully mails stuff to her dad at work? That's weird. But she also knew that he would get it there and then put it up there. But she could have given it to him at home. he could have taken off. I mean, I know he's busy and he runs off sometimes, but he's not negligent. He's not forgetful. I guess. The Guilford brothers. Up the river. 10 years, 12 years, and 10 years. Jones is happy. Uh, I get a close-up of a paper cut. <laughs> it's jam. It's like strawberry jelly on Tom's thumb. Midsummer Open Air Theater, to mark the occasion of the grand reopening, presents a celebration of Shakespeare, Love's Labor's Lost, Twelfth Night, Much Ado About Nothing. And what's that fourth play? Um, Hamlet. Hamlet, yes, yes, that's right. Gosh, I'm glad you remembered that because it's never mentioned again. When Baxter goes to see Charles King at the Masonic Lodge, he practically parks inside the building. Then he goes into the secret room in the lodge. Okay. My dad was a Mason. I'm not a Mason. I don't qualify. Okay. But I have respect for the order. You don't qualify? Yes. You have to be a, a man of good character who believes in God. So take which, In some God. Yeah. Take from whichever one of those two Since things. Since you don't believe in any higher power. Yeah. You so, don't qualify. Yeah. Okay. But that organization did great things for my mom after my dad died and still do great things for my mom. And, uh, you know, that. Baxter should have more respect. He should have more respect. For the secret room. Absolutely. Now, I don't think he could physically overpower that guy that was standing at the door. Well, the guy at the door was James Taylor. Was it? Yes. I couldn't. Before his music career. <laughs> James Taylor is sort of generic looking. So it was just some sturdy dude with black hair. I wasn't sure if it was him or not. No, no, it's James Taylor. Okay. Well, he plows right through him. Like he's Gets not his tassel there. all messed up. Yep. I'm, I'm glad they have the powder blue. Uh, aprons. Why? Because some people portray the modern masons with like black or gold uh, aprons, but so the any, blue is accurate. Any lodge I know of has blue. Okay. And those are those aprons are made of leather. They're made from cath leather. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fancy, fancy. Yeah. Sturdy. You have your dad's apron, don't you? Yes, I do. In a box. Wait a minute. There's a journal in here. <laughs> mm, we'll talk about that in a second. 
And yeah, every time James Taylor is on screen, I'm just like, you've got a friend. <laughs> I see you fire and I see you rain. <laughs> oh, by the way, those were the two worst James Taylor impressions. Yes, they were. <laughs> Before we get past Peter Baxter too much, as he's storming into the secret room of the, the society that isn't secret but has secrets, he's played by Ray Lonnan. Yes. And he is in our first... Wow, that looks like a horrible movie. I bet Mark's seen it okay. for the week. Are you ready? It, does it involve his horrible hair? No. Because, boy, he has some horrible his hair. His hair's pretty bad in the movie, too, but it's not because of the movie. Okay. The movie's not about his bad hair. Okay. 1988. Okay. I'm going to read the two-sentence synopsis, and we'll see if you can guess the movie if you've seen it. Okay. okay. Two shipwrecked castaways... Discover the island they have landed upon is shared by three beautiful women living alone, dot, 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 who are rather hungry. (laughs) So this is a, so 88, Mm -hmm. so this is a horror movie response to Blue Lagoon, Mm -hmm. and I do not believe I've seen this movie. It's called Man Eaters. It sounds familiar. I'm going to have to look at the poster. I think it, I think it was made by a French director. Um, I think it may be... Uh, I don't think it's in French. Yes. But I think it was made in France. Okay. That's one point for me. Hoo-ah. I don't think I've seen it, which is weird because it's stupid. But it's only got five people in it. Yeah, but... Three cannibal ladies and two castaways. That's it. But French and cannibal ladies, I'm guessing that those three ladies all appear naked at some point in the movie. They wear like She-Ra outfits, like uh, Jane of the Jungle kind of outfits. (laughs) Strategically torn furs. You know, 18-year-old boy looking at movies. That's true. This is a stupid movie, and it's got boobs in it. (laughs) You probably would have watched it if you'd seen it. the perfect movie for us to watch. No, oh, that's one point for me. Yep. Yay. So James Taylor works for a funeral home. Yes. Henry and Sons. We never find out who Henry is. No, we never do. And he's not driving the hearse. Nope. He's driving like their utility vehicle. He's a mason. Wait a minute. He's a, a mason. mason. Who's a mason? mason. Hamlet? No. <laughs> <sighs> so we've got a break in at the factory. Well, before that, Cully comes home on the train. Right. Because she's going to be in a play. She's got a gig. 200 quid a week. It's not bad. She's got to wash her own frocks. She does. But if you notice, they film that scene really quickly because the train's in the station only for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Like, they, they for the sake of realism, they kind of speed through that scene. She's got a heavy suitcase. She needs some wheels on that baby. So James Taylor takes Sophie home. Right. And we notice that her house is for sale. Yeah. Baxter's got it up for sale. And none other than Beauvoisin is going to sell it. Beauvoisin is selling the house. And Sophie is pissed. Like, I could care less. (laughs) But somebody's broken into the house, Mark. Uh, Okay. Do we ever find out who or why? Yeah, Jack throws a brick at their house. Oh, that's right. Yep. That's right. It's Tucson. So now back to the factory and the fancy pig sticker. Mm-hmm. That gleams in the moonlight. Look, 
fancy pig sticker. It's called a poniard. Yes. I looked all over the place at Masonic poniards and could not find one that had a wavy blade like that. It reminded me of Tintin. If you've ever read Tintin comics, he's always finding daggers that look like that. That have wavy blades. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, it's not effective for open and file cabinets, or is it? Oh, I don't know. This I think it's is pretty right trashy. Mess. It's pretty trashy that Baxter uses it as a paper knife on his desk. Yeah, I think so too. Now, let, let's get to the crux of this. Is this the first episode where we have two gu- different killers with different motives? Hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't even call Ian a killer. It's an accident. They're wrestling around. I yeah. don't think he means to stab Baxter. I think, I think he could easily get away with manslaughter if he had survived. He could have taken him to the hospital. Well, yes. And then it would have been okay. Yes. Because... He has a chest wound, a, a sucking, sucking chest, chest wound. wound. Well, you know me, I'm always like uh, stupidly searching for things I don't want to see, but oh. search anyway. So I was looking into sucking uh, chest wounds and <laughs> the best headline I found, it's an article title, okay, from a medical journal, of the, the Journal of Crisis Medicine. Yep. A sucking, parentheses, and blowing Chest wound is the sound of not dying. (laughs) Isn't that a James Taylor album? The sound of not dying? Yes. Apparently, if you have a chest wound and it's sucking and blowing, that's a good sign because it means your lung isn't completely collapsed. Yes. And it's actually fairly easy to fix. It's not really that big of a deal. Uh, I wouldn't want one. You'd rather have a sucking chest wound than... A sucking head wound. Yeah. (laughs) Or... Uh, like to be stabbed in the heart. Yeah, right? definitely. So if, if you've got a sucking chest wound, you're still breathing. Yes. George is in this episode a million times. Yeah, but not in very effective ways. He doesn't have any fun quips or anything. No. No, but he's all over this episode. When Tom and Jones go to see the, the Kings for the first time. Yes. After they found the body and everything, Charles shakes Tom's hand. Yes. And then he gives the secret Masonic handshake to Jones. Okay, so I thought this might need to be explained. How would he know that Jones is a Mason? He doesn't have a lapel pen on or anything. Does he give him like a special winkity wink first? Okay. No. How do they recognize so each other? First of all, these are called grips, not shakes. Ooh, okay. Secret grip. So what happens is, and I know this because... Uh, I would, I've been taught this, right? So, Is it where you put your finger in between and you tickle their palm while you're shaking their hand? No, okay. but there is a way to grip your hand that gives a signal that you're a Mason, and there's a response to that. So if you're not a Mason, you wouldn't really recognize it as anything special? No, and, ah. and because they're cops, especially in Britain, and cops and Masons in Britain have had a... Definitely a weird relationship because that's what the whole thing that Jones says, my allegiances are to the police. Right, because there have been policemen who have put the lodge above their duties, right? So as a master mason, I would shake everyone in England's, every cop's hand like that. So I know every man's hand who is on the square. Yeah. You shake hands, you give a subtle sign, and if the person so, recognizes it, then they know to reciprocate. So but that, if they don't recognize it, they'll just think it's a handshake. So that's called usually called a greeting grip. 
Okay. So he might have done it to Tom, but Tom didn't. Tom didn't notice. Now, there's grips that they use in ceremonies. Right. And then there are, there are also grips of, I'm in trouble. Like, I'm in mortal danger. Like a secret code, like, help me? Yeah. But with a handshake? Yes. Oh. So, like, this person next to me is trying to kill me, but I don't. Yeah. I can't say anything about it. I just always, every time I'm reminded that they're grips, I always think that it's like a wrestling thing. <laughs> but that's how he knows that that Jones is in the lodge. Because he does it back. Yeah. What what do the what do the help me grips? I don't know. What are they like? They gotta be really subtle. Like is it like a number of squeezes? Like like SOS squeeze? I don't know the exact stuff. Because the other thing is, because I'm, even though I'm not qualified to be a member of the Masons, A, they do a lot of great work in the community. It's really a service organization mm-hmm. now. And two, they've done nice things for my family. Right. Um, and so I never want to be like, oh, here's all the Mason secrets. Like, if they want to keep something secret, it's their business. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And there are a lot of little things in this episode. We may as well just talk about them now. Yeah. That as somebody who's not very familiar, I'm always like, so is that real? Or did they make that up? Right? Well, okay. So the <clears throat> one of the biggest things that you probably didn't notice was when he has the conversation, when, when Charles has the conversation with Ian in the factory Mm -hmm. and ian's like oh everything's forgiven now i'm all okay and charles is like well you were a little shit that role is super important the widow's son is a is almost automatically a source of attention of any lodge member right so so after your dad died did you get special attention from his Lodge brothers? They all made sure to talk to me and my brothers. Just to make sure that you guys were okay? Yeah. Yeah. Like the widow's son is an important person to the lodge members. But when Jones... But it's not like official. It's Right. It's It's just something that's important to them. But when Jones says like, can we speak on the square... I could find no reference to that. I, I know that the, the square and the compass are important to Freemasons. Oh, I've heard people say that to my oh, dad. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I couldn't find any reference to it. Now, I could find what they say during the ceremony because Ian comes in with the hood and one shoe yeah. on. That's hoodwink and slipshod. Yes. And that's definitely a real that's, reference. That's a real reference. But the the wavy blade wasn't real. And when Ian is hung with that rope, Jones says it's a cable term. Yeah. And I couldn't find a reference to that anywhere. But that blue rope, like my dad's apron has that blue rope on it. Yeah. But do they call it a cable term? I don't know. I never went to a lodge meeting or anything. I did find this great page from the British Columbia and Yukon Freemasonry page where they talk about this episode. Oh, on their website. They do? Oh, yeah. It's a whole page just about this episode. Well, we'll have to link to that. I got the link for you. Excellent. I didn't know slipshod meant one shoe. Yes. Now I know. I knew what hoodwinked meant, but. Oh, look. Hamlet's being Hamlet. <laughs> is he being Hamlet or is he just being a brat? Well, one could say that Hamlet's kind of a brat. That's true. But for good reason. And it turns out for good reason here, too. So Sophie goes to Henry and Sons mm-hmm. to talk to James Taylor mm-hmm. about the fire and the rain. Right. 
and I am stuck because, first of all, he's not a very good casket salesman. Well, and she's not in the showroom of the funeral home, right? She's just talking to her friend who's going to help her out. And she's like, just whatever. Just get something for my dad to be burned up in. But I have in bold in my notes, naked ladies in the shop are inappropriate. <laughs> Are you, is there, are there sculptures there? And underneath, no, they're just posted from nudie magazines. Oh, okay. I thought when you said naked ladies, I thought you meant that like some of the angels like weren't completely dressed or something. No, no, no. There's pictures of naked women. Oh, there's like page three ladies up on the wall. Okay. And to which I then say naked ladies in casket shops are even more inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like the, um, the other episode where we've got a funeral home in midsummer, it, that's how you know that it's a funeral home because they just leave caskets sitting around. Yep. That's what makes it a funeral home. That's all you need yep. is a couple of caskets yeah. and any place can become a funeral home. It's amazing. So I do like that they do a good bit of writing where Jones explains the divided loyalty thing mm-hmm. and then shows some character by saying, but that's not happening here. Yeah. You, you are, I am with you no matter what. So I wondered if he quit. He obviously hadn't quit. Yeah. And then I thought, can you quit the Freemasons? Are you allowed to? And I assumed that it would be something really difficult because you take that oath and, you know, you take it very seriously. It's a big commitment. Yeah. I thought it's got to be equally as onerous to get out as to get in. And that's just not the case. <laughs> you found online... Um, yeah, so they call it a demit. So you are permitted in and you are demitted out. Okay. And all you've got to do is write a letter to um, the lodge where you have been a brother and just let them know that you're no longer interested um, in being a Freemason. And you can do it two ways. One way is to say, and I'm never coming back. I'm done. And the other way is to say, I'm leaving as a member of good standing. So should I ever change my mind, I can come back without being reinitiated. Oh, see, I think that's probably where Jones is at. And they have. Because he is an apron. You don't get an apron unless you're a member. Right. But this website where I found this information had PDF form letters for both, where you could just fill in your name and your lodge and the lodge leader. And that's all you had to do and you were ready to go. Good to know. (laughs) So it's not like, you know. I got to sacrifice a goat or anything to prove to you that I want to leave. You just, yeah, fill your name in and mail it in and that's it. Yeah. You're out. I guess. So this dagger. Yes. Has J-O-B on it. Yes. Right? Yahweh Osiris Ball. Yep. Okay, I buy that. Yep. But then they have the stupidest secret code I've ever heard of. (laughs) 1612-2. That's P-L-B. Yeah. All you have to do is just match the number up with the letter of the alphabet. It's not really a complicated cipher. That's not a cipher at all. Any little kid could break that code. Why do they even bother to do it? I don't know. It's dumby dumb dumb. Yeah. Super dumb. Yep. And then there's a reference to secret squirrels. What? Yes. They're like, oh, it's so secret squirrel because of the code. You know, like they're keeping secret squirrel code. You don't know about secret squirrel? No. Oh, I thought you knew about secret squirrel. What's secret squirrel? Well, it's two things. One, it's a military term to refer to um, intelligence personnel who are uh, at levels above you. Okay. 
When somebody's on an intelligence mission that you don't have clearance to know about, you say, oh, it's secret squirrel. Okay. They're even like mouse and squirrel. They're even military <laughs> <Moose and> squirrel. <laughs> they're even military badges that have a squirrel on them. Oh, okay. Um, if they have a nut, you know they're fake. Apparently, that's okay. what I learned. Somebody can correct me if I if I'm wrong about that. All you squirrels out there. Uh, yeah, but the other thing that it refers to is a Hanna Barbera cartoon called Secret Squirrel. Oh, where he's a he's a super spy squirrel. Oh, <laughs> I've never heard of that show. It's awesome. <laughs> I now want to watch Secret Squirrel. Yeah, but you've never heard that no reference before. No. Oh, never. Now you know. One thing I don't like about this episode, other than Sophie, is they don't know what to do with Jack Tucson's character. What do you mean? Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's completely reasonable. Then he's drunk. Then he's trying to make a deal. He's all over the place. I think that's justifiable. I don't know. He's got loyalty, but it's been betrayed. I don't like the way he treats Ian. Yes. Because I think Ian is... when he tries to shoot him? (laughs) I think Ian is sincere. Oh, that I do he too. really does think that it's wrong if those people have been ripped off. And I think given time, he would have looked into it and done something about it. The whole shooting thing is so weird. He's super drunk, yeah. but he's not evil. So I, he's played by Tony Hagar. Mm-hmm. And he's a veteran actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Everything. Morse, Three Midsummers, Inspector Gently, New Tricks, Gil Mayo, D.L. and Pasco, Inspector Lindley, Foils War, Pie in the Sky, Bergerac, Lovejoy, Frost, Zed Cars. Those are just the shows that we've mentioned on this on this podcast that he's been in. He was also... Notice he, I said Zed Cars. I've learned also, my lesson. He was also in South Africa filming Wild at Heart, not Wild at Heart, the David Lynch movie. No, that'd be very different. <laughs> very different Wild at Heart. <laughs> Uh, when he got the script emailed to him for this episode and he got to read it in South Africa and phoned his agent straight away and said, yes, to be asked to go back is so lovely. He's been on it before. Mm -hmm. But then he says. This is in the Midsummer Magazine, by the way, guys. That's where he's reading from. I'm reading from the Midsummer. Gotta give it credit. Yes. Um, Me and my missus, which is just the cutest thing ever. It'd only be better if you said me and the missus. Always <laughs> stay in to watch Midsummer Murders. They're maniacs. Yes, they are. It's the only night I won't go to the pub. <laughs> so he's at the pub every night except Midsummer Night. Yep. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> I'm usually drunk, but not for Midsummer. Well, I hello, stay sober for Midsummer. Mr. and Mrs. Tucson. <laughs> We hope you're maniacs. But that's not their name. They're the Hagarths. Yes, the Hagarths. Sorry. I, so. Oh, okay. So they find the ornamental dagger. Yes. And they do nothing but touch it. Oh, touch, 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 touch. Touchy, touch. And then later they talk about the DNA on the dagger. I'm like, Tom's DNA? Because it's all Tom's. He's like, touch, stroke, touch, point, touch, lick, touch. (laughs) George is really good with the DNA. He must have to run elimination tests against Tom oh, for everything Tom he runs. Tom touched it again. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's just Tom DNA. We've got a macro programmed for that. It just automatically eliminates Tom. Now comes the crux of the book. Ian and David are in Alan's study, clearing things out. Ian finds the little leather case with Alan's name on it 
that is his Masonic stuff, right? Regalia. His regalia, his apron, his gloves, it's all in there, but that's not all that's in there. Okay, so first of all, these are real. Mm -hmm. My father has one, well, he had one, Mm -hmm. and my mother gave it to me Mm -hmm. after he died, Mm -hmm. so we have one in the house. Mm -hmm. But it is like, it's an heirloom. Right. It's not something secret or hidden. No. But how did that book that the last time we saw that book, Alan King was drawing in it. In Shanghai. In Shanghai. Get into that case. Here's my theory. Okay. And I don't like it, but it's my only explanation. Okay. Is that the sketchbook was in his luggage, which were not with him in the car. So when he blew up in the car, his stuff was still back at the now, hotel. Now, where was the car? What, what was on the road? Where were they going on the road? He was in the car alone. Okay. Going to the... I don't know. Well, what, what was the road sign? The airport? Yes. So he doesn't have his luggage on the road to the airport. He might have been going someplace that was on the way to the airport. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Maybe. Like Beijing. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just going to assume that he wasn't going to the airport, so he didn't have his luggage with him. It was back at the hotel. Yes. Okay. So when he gets burned up in the car, it's not with him. So then when Charles comes home, his brother comes home, he brings his things with him, including the journal. Yes. Okay. And I, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to say that Hillary, his widow, went through his things, found his sketchbook, knew it was important to him, and put it in his case with his Masonic regalia. That is the best case scenario. Without flipping through it and seeing his blatant, wow, everybody's ripping the company off. It's so illegal and awful and bad. Note. Note that's in it. <laughs> now, if that were your sketchbook and you had died, I would have looked at every page. There's no way I could have put it away without looking at every page. Yeah. Well, Hillary was like, on to the next husband. I'm going to say that Hillary put it in there. Because if Charles put it in there, he's an having idiot. been a fellow Mason, I would think he would know that that case was there and that it was special, that he might have put it in there because it was the sketchbook was also special. He's a moron for having not flipped through it and seen the page where he's like, my brother is doing illegal stuff and is so, so bad and probably killed me. Otherwise, it's just miraculous. It's the sketchbook that teleports. The teleporting sketchbook. I, when Ian's sitting in the field reading it, I paused. Yes. Never mind the fact that every time you see the front of the sketchbook, the music in the episode changes practically to wanna wanna wah 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 wah. Yes. It's so bad because he put stickers from China. Yeah. They're Chinese. Chinese on stickers. The book. And it almost covers the words that are stamped into the leather of the cover, but there's a little bit of those words left. And all I could see was slob notes, but you think it's... Globe notes. Globe notes, which I think probably makes more sense than slob notes. (laughs) I didn't think I was right, but I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. I'll put slob notes of this episode. (laughs) Just don't play that insulting music when you do it, okay? Oh, jeez. Wow. We find out that Ian is the one who chose Hamlet for the inaugural performance at the outdoor theater. Hamlet, what's that theory? What's that play about again? I think it's about a guy who kills his brother to marry his widow. How would that be related to this episode? I, nothing oh, okay. in common. No, 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 no. And it, I think, so doesn't Charles tell Jones 
that the lodge meets on the third Thursday of the month. According to my notes, second Thursday of the month. Okay, so once a month yeah. on a Thursday. How convenient that that's coming up so soon that that Jones can just happen to go. Quinky dink. Would they have an initiation of a new member at just a regular meeting, or would yeah. that be a special meeting? No, no. They're, regular they're meeting? Regular okay. Meeting. Then so Tucson. Cully is Ophelia. Yes. Which is the lead actress part in that play, mm-hmm. right? This is a big deal for Miss Cully. Well, yes and no. It's a big role in that play that's being performed at an outdoor theater for 40 people. The guy who plays Hamlet appears in the magazine and the director appears on another page of the magazine. It's just, it's so little in the episode. I was kind of amazed that it was featured so much. Well, how can she be mad at Tom if he leaves and she doesn't have a big part? But don't you have information (laughs) about that director or that guy who played Hamlet? So the... The guy who is the director, uh, he, he's kind of a butt, right? Yeah. I mean, he's rude to everybody. Um, he, uh, his name is Harold Bumstead, is Harold. the character's name. Okay. Uh, he's played by Hugh Sachs. Okay. And the reason why I mentioned him to you earlier is that he is also in one of these horrible movies that I bet you've seen. Okay. Number this, two. This one is super special. Okay. okay. So this is Hugh Sachs is in this movie, the guy who plays the director. This is a 1995 movie okay. that stars Elizabeth Hurley Ooh. and C. Thomas Howell. Okay. I, I think I know what this movie is. You want to guess? Is this Bedazzled? No. Okay. I want to know what that movie is, though. <laughs> it's the one where she plays the devil. No. Okay. No. Uh I found I found another layer of fun for these this week. Okay. Uh, I looked to reviews of these movies. Okay. To find awesome ways to describe them. Excellent. So this is from a review of this film from The Independent. Okay. Okay. Which is a British newspaper, national yeah. newspaper in Britain. Right. Do you wish to know just how bad this film is? How long have you got? Suffice to say that it is shot with all the panache of a 20-year-old commercial for an Indian restaurant and has the sort of dialogue which makes an audience of hardened critics first titter, then cringe. The sole moment of interest came from Jeremy Brett as the aristo swine in charge of the drug orgies. When the police finally burst in, he waves a languid arm and says, arrest them all. They are beginning to bore me. This is now starting to sound familiar. Antonia is a cute drug addict in London who meets a nice motorbike courier. They get caught between a corrupt drug cop and a drug dealer. It's called Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Oh, yes. I've seen this. Yep. <laughs> yes. I have seen Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Shot with all the panache of a 20-year-old commercial for an Indian restaurant. Yep. And I just love the idea of Jeremy Brett going, take them away. They bore me. <laughs> wow, that's a movie that I never need to see again. Well, Hugh Sachs, I think, plays the corrupt policeman in it. Oh, okay. So, excellent. That's Bumstead in and the then movies. You said the guy playing Hamlet was somebody. Uh, he's just, uh, he's an actor. I mean, he's been in lots of things. He's not, he's not nobody. I do think he gets special treatment with that, 
when Tom is sitting there and everything's starting to come together in his head, you know, and they do that kind of like weird, like zoomy zoom thing on yep. Hamlet's face. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. And then Tom's like, oh, I got it. Yep. <laughs> Just before Cully's big speech. Oh, I got to go. Yeah. Well, no, right in the middle of it. Yeah. Which you can't blame her for being pissed off about. She has every right to be pissed off. But when he told her, I saved a woman's life and a man's life, she might have been a little easier on him. I would think so. But I still understand Cully's rage. Really, this episode should be called entitled Kelly's Aphelic Rage. Cully's... Of- would it be Ophiliac? <laughs> Cully's Ophiliac Rage. The pub. Would you like to talk about the pub? So the pub uh, doesn't have a name. It's not an aptly named pub. But it has a, a bartender who's like all over the scenery. He's special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They name him in the episode. I didn't make a note of his name. In the credits, he's just called Pub Landlord. He's played mm-hmm. by Morris Perry. Okay. Who was also in Dark Autumn. Okay. He plays Ben Barrow in Dark Autumn. Okay. Do you remember him? Don't remember him specifically. He's an old dude with white hair. Well, okay. You know, I mean, that's kind of what he does. I hate to whip it out so soon, but yeah. he's our third horrible movie. Oh, okay. Wow. This one. Wow. Wow. Okay. 1973. Ooh. Morris Perry is in this movie. He's okay. the pub landlord in this episode. The tagline of this movie is, this nightmare has already killed five people. Now it's yours to live. Oh, I need to see this movie if I haven't. It has Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee in it. Oh! <laughs> the holy... <laughs> They're not the Trinity. Because no. it's not a Hammer movie. No. <laughs> The review. Something has obviously come fatally adrift with the film. The script seems mostly at fault, and often the acting is just a little bit over-emphatic, which doesn't help. Lackluster performances all around in this confused, badly developed, laborious movie, especially from the children who are so important to the plot. <laughs> it's a movie about a orphanage on an island, and the trustees are being killed off one at a time with the final three trustees being killed in a bus accident, which also includes 30 orphaned children. Christopher Lee is the cop. He starts investigating. He gets suspicious, and then he brings in his friend Peter Cushing, who is a psychiatrist, who starts to hypnotize some of the children to find out what's really going on. Why have I not seen this movie? It's called Nothing But the Night. Nothing But the Night. Oh, I have to see it now. (laughs) I've not seen that movie And that is like right up my alley This nightmare has already killed five people Now it's yours to live I got two out of three this week You did Booyah But that's you know That's the time period where Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee Were not seen as great actors The way they are now No They had a little Little dip Little dip in the 70s And then And now they're Star Wars saved Peter Cushing And Christopher Lee was like Oh wait a minute I'm a great actor, too. Yeah, remember me? I'm cool. And I play evil guys. Yes. Then we get this... Fly posting is illegal. We get this... (laughs) I don't even want to talk about that. I'm not even going to talk about it. It's just so stupid. Because some tape 
or some push pins would have been a lot more effective. No. What are they going to go do? Glue it to hoardings on the side of buildings? Now, come on. <laughs> I think Joyce made the glue. She picks up the paint, like the brush thing, and I, I swear she was about to put it in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, like, 1920s to go yep. glooping around glue to paste yep. things. You uh, just, you, nobody does that. Uh, nobody no. does that. No. Then we've got this wackadoodle scene with Ian in the barn, right? Where he's he's going all crazy Hamlet on his mom. Yeah. And being real strange. Oh, and then he's real strange with Sophie. Yes. Right? It's the strange with Sophie that I want to talk about. Because he's like, I'm going to make this big change because I've realized that life is is more important and it's all about money and money and, and that's what I'm going to do. And then he tries to like kiss her and she fends him off and runs away did you notice he has no shoes on in that scene he's pretending to be wackadoodle yeah he's pulling a hamlet yes okay he says to her life is an effort that deserves a better cause yes which sounds shakespearean it sounds smarter than ian Yes. Is what it sounds. He's and a I biologist, thought, not an Englishman. And I thought, that's not original. That's yeah. a quote. What yeah. is that a quote from? It's not Shakespeare. Do you have any idea who said that? No. This is such an obscure reference. Okay. The guy who said it, his name is Karl Kraus. Okay. Okay. He's a German writer. He was um, born in the like 1860s. He died in the 1940s. Somewhere around there. Yep. Um, and he was a satirist. Okay. And he was a linguist. Okay. He wrote a satirical newspaper that made fun of the government. Okay. During World War One. Okay. And was obsessive about the German language. Okay. I have three degrees in literature and English. Now, it's English. It's not German. Yeah. I had never heard of this guy. Never heard of Never him. heard of anything he wrote. I wonder if Patrick knows him. He was known as the master of venomous ridicule. Ooh. And he aimed most of his satire at figures from the center and the left because he said... The flaws of the right are too self-evident to be worthy of my comment. Wow. <laughs> like, ouch. <laughs> like, I'm not even going to bother to make fun of you people on the right because you make fun of yourselves with your existence. He was Ooh. so venomous. Yeah. But super, super smart. And I just don't know why it's in this episode. It's weird. It's That's so weird. weird. I mean, it's it's well suited to Ian's speech. Yeah. But this is not like Scott referencing the, the Great Escape, where we're like, I don't know what that was. I mean, this is like deep, deep, deep in the archives kind of reference. It sort of comes out of nowhere, sort of like a joint. Or a roll-up cigarette. I don't know what that is. What the hell is that? It's like, I'm mad, bad, and dangerous to know now. Neither of them have <laughs> ever been shown smoking or doing drugs before. Out of nowhere, there's a rolled-up cigarette. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it suits the speech, but it's like, wow, what a weird reference that is. I don't even know what that's up. And then Charles meets with Tucson and his two mute sidekicks yes. and says, we'll give you 10 pence on the dollar. Yep. Or to the pound, I suppose. Yep. Go, Who's going to accept that? No one. I know I owe you 100 bucks. Here's 10. By the way, I have all the books that you've been cooking. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Goodbye. So who gave those to Tucson? Who left Ian. them? Ian. Clearly, Ian King gave them. You think so? You yeah. think he found them in the in Baxter's office? I think so. So Ian kills Baxter on accident. Yep. Puts Baxter in the trunk of his own car. Yep. Takes him to the river. Yep. Dumps him in masquerading as him. Yep. Wouldn't there have been blood in the trunk? Everywhere. And on him. And a trail leading out to the car. Even if it wasn't that big of a wound. You know, it's a small puncture wound. There would have been blood in the trunk of the car. Maybe the sucking wound sucked up the blood. But remember, it's sucking and blowing. It would have spit blood out and sucked blood in. (laughs) leave that in he wouldn't have drowned if he hadn't had that sucking wound yes because it sucked the water right up out of the creek (laughs) my next note is probably the most meta note that i've ever written for this show which is finally the lawyers have hurt sarah meaning because barnaby's like the lawyer said the will is like this because last episode you were yelling about how the lawyers would would be able to I tell people. I can't tell you what's in the will. I know he's dead and I'm about to read the will, but you have to wait to hear with yeah. everybody else. That's so stupid and it's wrong. Barnaby just calls him up and gets the information. <laughs> okay. You want to know another stupid thing about Sophie? No. Oh. Okay, you do stupid thing about Sophie and then I'll do stupid thing about James Taylor. Maybe it's the same thing. Okay. Because Sophie doesn't know how to pack stuff for crap. Okay, here's a little tip. I've got clothes and books that I want to donate to Oxfam. I'm going to lay a black tarp out on the floor, throw all of it in the middle, wrap it up like a body, duct tape it, and then make this guy drag it down the driveway. I could have put it in some boxes. No. Or maybe a couple of bags. No. But I thought, ah, that won't look like a body. And then James Taylor doesn't really know how to move it either. How could you? It's a plastic tarp full of books and clothes sliding all over the place. It probably weighs a thousand pounds. Sophie deserves to be in there for having packed it that way. Oh my gosh. Who does that? On that point, I completely agree with you. She is useless. If we move, we're not inviting Sophie to help. Or James. (laughs) He's just doing... What he has to do because she asked him because he loves her. Why does and he he's love used, her? And he's used to moving bodies. Yes. So he could, you know. Why does he love her? She treats him like crap the entire time. I understand. I understand that she may not like him in that way. That's completely valid. Mm-hmm. Okay. But why does he still like her in that way? <laughs> because sometimes you just don't want to give up on somebody. At the funeral, he says, don't forget about Tuesday. And she says, I can't be there. What is he inviting her to? Um, 
they're going to go to the local movers and find out how to pack stuff. Oh, and they don't go. And yeah. that's why she does such a bad job. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they were going to packing class, which would have been convenient since her dad has decided to sell the place and she's got to move out. James Taylor is the worst witness, too. Like the worst culprit. He's like, uh, yeah, it was uh, books and clothes. Yeah. And, but then uh, he says, I dropped it off at the local Oxfam. You can go and look at it. And he, he's clearly no, not lying. No, but he says, that it, unless someone stole it. Like, he totally is the worst witness ever. Well, at least he's not saying it could have been a body. If yeah. it was, I don't know, because Sophie packed it. And you know how Sophie is packing. She's really bad at it, so. When Hillary hears about her son and hears that it's not suicide, she has it all figured out at that moment. The actress who plays Hillary, Susan Tracy, she's also in Death in Disguise, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. Um, she does a really good job yes, in that she scene. She's already sad because her son is dead. Yeah, and she thinks he's killed himself and that she's part of the cause of that for having married Charles, right? Yeah. So she's already really sad. But then when they tell her that they think that he was murdered, yeah. her face does this thing where it's like confusion, grief, realization, grief, anger. Yeah. You see the moment she, she figures where she out puts it together. Charles must have killed Alan. And Ian. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, it's going down now. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> he killed my two favorite men. And when they talk on the phone when he's in Shanghai, they, you get a, a it's a very short conversation, but you get the sense that they are very close. Yeah. And that they have the same goals and that it's a happy marriage. Yeah. So... But that scene, she's super good in that scene. In the background, they're in the cemetery when they talk to her and tell her that Ian was murdered. In the background, and you see it earlier at the other funeral too, there's a brick wall that goes around the cemetery. And at one part, it's fallen down and somebody's just built a staircase over it. Oh, I didn't notice that. You didn't? No. It's like, a, it's like three steps up. On one side and three steps down on the other side. Oh, well. Like the wall broke, so we just put some steps on it. Well, okay. Yes. It might be a monument. Like it might be scheduled, so they might not be able to fix it. But they don't have to put steps over it. Can't have the punters driving all over it. They, they have to go through the gate. The front. I guess. If they're going to bust through the wall like Kool-Aid, man, we'll just put some stairs there instead. <laughs> okay. I don't get it. Now we need to talk about the biggest coincidence of the episode. Mm-hmm. The hat-throwing chaps. Oh. Those two kids, they just happen to be outside the pub. They just happen to be throwing a hat like a Frisbee. And they just happen to be greasy-haired, gold-chain-wearing chaps. Just as Barnaby and Troy uh, and Jones are driving by. Just as they pull up, those Oi! kids are playing with that hat. Yep. And we're calling them chavs, not to be insulting, but that is clearly the trope. Yes. That is being referenced here. We haven't seen a youth wearing a overly big gold chain in several episodes. My comment is, isn't this convenient? <laughs> by the way, the... We found it. We could keep it. The landlord's name is Rupert. 
Ah, yes, thank you. They do call him Rupert. And they really don't even need the hat. All the hat proves is that somebody else had it now, other for- than Charles. Yeah, I forgot that Ian killed Charles accidentally. Mm. I thought that, sorry, Ian killed Baxter. I thought that Charles had killed Baxter. And when he drives by. When he almost hits David on the road, who's mailing something in the middle of the, the night. In the middle of the night. He doesn't have white hair. And I'm like. How can you tell? I couldn't see anything but a hat. Oh, you see the back of his head. I thought that was all hat and no, headrest. No, you don't see the white hair. Wow. And I was like, but it was Charles who killed him. That's a mistake. Oh, no, no, it's not no. because Ian killed him. <laughs> and then, of course, we get Cully's awful opening night. Tom oh. leaves. And the whole place turns on him. You know, you'd think by now he would know to sit on the aisle. Yes. I might have an epiphany during this. I should probably sit on the aisle. Yes. I love that he grabs the cushions because he's thinking about sitting on those hard stone benches for four hours. <laughs> I've been in the car for 10 minutes. That's a long time to sit and wait for somebody who's just standing in the living room. <laughs> he's not doing anything. And I got to give Joyce credit here. She looks great. She does. She's got a strapless dress on and a wrap and she looks beautiful. She looks good in this whole episode. She can absolutely pull off that dress. I couldn't pull off that dress. Yeah. She can pull off that dress. Yeah. Oh, so he gets up and leaves because Hillary's having a bad day. They go into the factory and Charles is in the chair with the hood on and Hillary is doing something. And then yes. she turns with the knife. What is she doing? I don't know. I. It's almost like she's kissing or necking with him. I thought it was more like she was like trying to strangle him. I don't know. But then she turns around and has a knife. It's weird. I just had this image of her like with the knife like poked up against him. And she's like, argh, argh, like trying to stab him. And she's like, your shirt's too thick. <laughs> and they just stop her. Yeah. So then Charles is like the worst. Oh, it was all Hillary. Oh, he throws her under the bus. He's a bad guy. He is of course a very, he does. very bad guy. When they find Alan's sketchbook in the study, Tom finds it, finds the page that says, here's who did it. And they're really bad guys. Yep. <sighs> they mess it up. Why? I like Alan. Alan is a humanitarian. He's a, a drama teacher. He owns a family-owned company. He was a good husband and dad. Yep. And he doesn't know how to spell companies being possessive. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't put apostrophe S. He puts companies as plural. I-E-S. I'm like, Alan, I know you're dead and everything. And then I think... Wow, I'm being kind of a Carl Krauss about this. <laughs> Your language is wrong. I'm venomous about it. And then Sophie's just back. I know it was in the middle of a murder investigation and that I was probably kind of a suspect, but I just had to go north and see my friend. Whatever. Just, Who cares? We didn't uh, miss you. Good riddance. Goodbye. Go back. David's a good guy. He is. He's a good friend. We're going to talk about David. In the, in the what happens next. Okay. So then they exhume Alan. Yep. And they find the dragonfly completely unbroken. No, it's broken. Okay. It's almost whole, but it's, yeah. it's, it has some breakage to it. And George finds out he's got glass in his stomach. Now, 
Genetic. He says, he says a common Chinese poisoning. Yes, of ground up glass. Now, now, you can't die of ground glass. Okay. Can you die of the ground up tiger's whiskers, which is another episode? Of, <laughs> that's a different that's show. A, is that a Marple or a Poirot? That's a Poirot. Yeah. So here's the thing with ground glass. Yeah. And this is a trope in a whole lot of mystery shows. I don't want to eat ground glass. You don't. And you wouldn't. Because if somebody put ground up glass in your food, you'd notice it immediately. Yeah. Right? So to slip it into your food in a way that you wouldn't notice, it would have to be almost powdered. Yeah. And powdered glass doesn't hurt you. Not at all. I got to think that it goes through you like sand would. Not, it Not doesn't, that I've eaten a lot of sand, but... It doesn't hurt you at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if I shoved glass shards down your throat, that's different. But if you eat glass shards, you kind of deserve it. If you don't notice well, jaggedy pieces of glass a, in your food. Makes you drive on a, on a bike path. Yeah, in 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's... Uh, they should have did, did some Googling for that yeah. one. And I'm kind of impressed that they found it. Yeah. Because he died in a flaming car. Six months ago. How much melted broken glass would there have been I for a corpse that was basically yeah. immolated in a car? I'm, for once, I'm glad we didn't get to see six months in the grave, Alan. <laughs> that would have been best corpse of the episode, Hell, no doubt. It would have been. <laughs> And then Jones gives Tom the dagger so he can open things without yeah. cutting his finger. And uh, the end. Yeah. So, yes, we have two killers. We have Ian, who killed by accident, but then didn't do anything to help himself because no. he threw Baxter in the creek. And we've got Charles, who killed Alan and Ian. So, best corpse of the episode. <laughs> nice corpse. We've got Peter and we've got Ian. Yep. Who do you pick? I'm going to go with Peter because we see him more. Ian, we don't see all that much. I'm going to go with Ian because he's face up, concrete floor. He's kind of splayed funny. Both of them are. Neither of them are impressive. No. No. They're not guy in a crop circle. No. <laughs> Nobody is. After the credits. Okay. This is where it gets interesting because so in the magazine, not to talk about the magazine so much this episode, but in the magazine, they have this spread in the middle that has all the pe the important people in the episode. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone in this picture is either dead or in the pokey. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> there's not many people left at the end of this episode. Alan, Ian and Peter are dead. All dead. Hillary Charles is, is in jail. Charles is going the pokey. I would say Hillary is uh, at least on remand. Yeah. Tempted murder. Well, now she's going to get off. She drugged him and confined him. It's yeah. more like kidnapping than attempted murder. But yeah, they'll release her. Yeah. But she might she, get some parole maybe or something. But she's, she's also not in the best of shape. Gosh, no. Everybody around her is either a killer or dead. And the only source of income for her entire family is now up in the air. Like, what happens with King's Crystal? Well, she's got the flower shop, Mark. Oh, okay. <laughs> the flower barn. 
She'll support herself with the flower barn. I guess she should hire David to run the estate. David doesn't go home. I think David stays at the estate. Yeah. You and think helps he, her out. You think he's Hillary's sidekick now? Yeah. I think they get along. So do you think King's Crystal ever reopens? No. I and I also think Sophie is completely ruined also because her father's debts are probably levied against her too. Oh, do you think he was selling the house because of his debts or because oh, I, he wanted to get away? Oh, I think both. Yeah. I don't think she's rolling in dough, but I don't think she's broke. What do you think about Tucson? Jack uh, and the workers. I, my my note about Jack is uh, he gets to play Falstaff in the next production. <laughs> of, uh, you think he's going to find a second career as an actor? Yes, and I think he'd make a great Falstaff, so... I bet you that actor has played Falstaff at some point in time. Oh, I'm sure. So. I'm sure. James Taylor goes on to a long music career. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric, the photographer, continues to be a wedding photographer. Yes. Oh, boy. What a weird episode. It is. It's, it's, it's like... The, the problem I have with this episode is they do so many things and they don't do them well. It's, they do. They try to do too much. Yeah, they try to do fail business, Masonic Lodge, Shakespeare, Chavs, <laughs> lots of love stories. Like there, there's just lots of there's just too much. Yeah, I was. I'm a little disappointed that the workers who have lost their jobs. It's an industry that needs to die. Right. I, I mean, understand. I do not think that a business like King's Crystal has long to live anyway. No. It's too niche. They've got too much competition. It's just it's not going to survive. Right. Not at that scale. No, but like Jack Tucson could become a teacher at the local art college. Right. I think they missed an opportunity to address the anger that comes from the death of a family business that was also the biggest business in the in the yeah. area, right? That's a serious storyline that they just kind of make them all look like drunk ruffians. And it's the same storyline as the relish. Yes. Like it's, they don't do anything interesting with it. No, no, it didn't. It didn't really need to be there. Like the relish episode in this episode are very, like they're brother and sister episodes. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't know. We've been making fun of it. I like the Hamlet parallel. I think it's interesting, but there should have been a difference. Like Ian thought it was Hamlet, yeah. but really Hillary killed Alan. Yeah, you know, something. like there's some kind of like, but there's a key difference. You think that that explains what actually happened and it's not what happened. That and would have been interesting. Sophie doesn't need to be in this episode at all, especially <laughs> packing things. <laughs> Nobody should let Sophie back. Nope. But it's still midsummer. So even with these flaws, it's the best show ever. It is. We love it. We love it. We're maniacs for midsummer. Maniacs. What's our next episode? Oh boy. Number 55, episode 10, uh, episode four of season 10. I'm surprised you can't hear the Axeman coming. <laughs> rock and roll in midsummer. Yeah. The rock and Motorcycles roll. Motorcycles. Yep. And Barnaby reliving his 
boozing up. Uh, his and, young years. Yeah, baby. Yep. It's great. The fiance appears. Yeah. He's not the fiance at this point. Not in time, yet, but, but we get to meet Simon. Uh, there's also a lot of extras in that episode because there is an actual music festival that people were at yeah. that they film parts of this from. I'm, and a singer gets electrocuted. Oh boy, does she get electrocuted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so until next week, bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. You got some editing to do with that, baby. I do.